Friday nights at 9 p.m. It's time to sit back, relax, and play conspiracy bingo with Echoplex Media. We've curated the best conspiracy theorists the internet has to offer and turned it into a live bingo game you can play for free with absolutely no prizes but bragging rights. You won't find a live stream like this anywhere else, and that's probably better for everyone else's mental health. Tune in every Friday at 9 p.m. Pacific at twitch.tv slash echoplexmedia and find our full schedule at echoplexmedia.com. I'll get on Twitter. I'll see something outrageous. I'll get triggered by it. But, I mean, I'll get off 30 seconds later and it's over. I'm white and I've got everything I need. No one clutches their purses when they're in a room alone with me. Welcome to the Intellectual Dollar Tree. We do the show live every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Pacific right here at twitch.tv slash Echoplex Media. Um, theme song, by the way, in case people are don't read the show notes or don't see the on-screen, is American Tune by Panhandlers, Panhandlers Union. They're friends of ours. <clears throat> River is a good friend of ours. has been on our local music show quite a few times and uh, has generally been pretty good. Um, we're going to go ahead and leave the uh, chat up uh, this week for the show. <clears throat> See how that goes. I'm just going to ask everybody in the live chat to try to stay on topic. If you have a whole ass other discussion to have, please do it on Discord. Anyway, um, you can support this project at patreon.com slash echoplex. You can also go to eplex.store and buy some swag. HK designed a shirt today. And it's a shirt for Dave Rubin. <laughs> you should go to eplex.store and check it out because it's actually pretty funny. But we're probably going to do some Dave Rubin later during the post game. But during the regular part of the show, I got a lot of beef from people for um, making fun of David Fuller <laughs> because they think he's nice. And so we're going to make fun of David Fuller this week. 
This is how did the intellectual dark web end? Pretty massive independent media brand, Rebel Wisdom. I'm sure a lot of people listening or watching already know a thing or two about Rebel Wisdom. And you recently decided, well, it sounds like you went to India. And Rebel Wisdom didn't end. It's still happening. They're still having weird conversations about demons and shit. Came back with the decision that Rebel Wisdom is going to come to an end. What happened in India? What did you discover? I ran out of a fucking the bunch of retirees fucking money. <laughs> so this is um yeah. Oh but shit, he's already doing this the, one where he's like looking up to be thoughtful. To breath work with with a amazing breathwork practitioner friend of mine. And it's kind of been my kind of go-to spiritual practice for quite a while and was kind of intimately connected in a way to the creation of rebel wisdom. Mm -hmm. Um and as I'm sure people watching will know, Rebel Wisdom is kind of, it interviews a lot of people, um, public intellectuals, talking about ideas, but very much also based in practice. So relational practices, spiritual practices, meditation practices. Oh no, I just upped the quality. Am I going to wreck Odyssey's website now? Watch Odyssey's just going to crash. Different embodiment practices. Uh, Look, now it can't, Odyssey can't, the website can't sort of keep up because I asked for a 720p video conversation about the different intersecting groups that are really interested in these ideas kind of existential risk uh inner and outer transformation and then the practices as well and i particularly went to india to i was to spend a bunch of retirees money after i sold them a sense-making course for 550 fucking dollars that's what he went to india to do blocked and felt like there was there was something that was um <laughs> yeah getting in the way and then while I was doing the, the breath work, while I was kind of exploring that. Breath work means like hyperventilating so that you like hallucinate or something. I'm not kidding. He also sold a class on breath work with some other person. Uh, me and HK covered it on uh, like during the post game. And it was like fucking $700 for a class on breath work, which literally means hyperventilate until you hallucinate. I'm not kidding. It's like butthole tanning, but for people who don't want to expose their butthole. And releasing um, quite a lot of kind of emotion to do with kind of frustration of, of, of feeling like I wasn't sure where the project was going. I wasn't sure where the conversation, because we've also been sort of tracking this conversation as well, that's felt like a kind of very live exploration, feeling that I wasn't sure where it was going next. It felt like it was really fragmenting. And while I was doing that, I kind of translated a lot of the uh, retirees, the pensioners who I had uh, sold my uh, sense making course to uh, decided not to uh, buy the second sense making course as soon as like the COVID restrictions lifted because they were allowed to go outside now. It was like, well, maybe that narrative arc is actually coming to an end. Maybe there is something else that maybe rebel wisdom has served its purpose. And then there was a whole sort of set of, of, um, conversations as well around well maybe that whole heterodox wave that rebel wisdom was tracking uh, grifting on like that whole cultural force the wave that someone like jordan and not for nothing like he talks heterodox heterodox is legitimately the way i understand it is the rejection of empiricism that's that, for like some other person who has a different opinion that is like like, there's no heterodoxy in plumbing, right? Because if your fucking toilet's overflowing and there's shit all over your floor, you don't need an, a revolution in plumbing to come in. You need a plumber who with a good reputation. And so there's only heterodoxy in these sort of 
I guess, intellectual space. Because when the rubber meets the road, there's no heterodoxy, speaking of the rubber meeting the road, there's no heterodoxy in tires. You buy the right tires for your car. In the wave that created the intellectual dark web feels to me like it peaked, has broken, is now in some ways have done its job. Like mm-hmm. I think the, the kind of heter- the mainstream consensus is kind of lying bleeding on the gutter right now. But that's, I wait, what do you mean? Right. The mainstream consensus on what? Like, like he says, oh, the mainstream consensus is lying bleeding on the gutter about what? Like, I don't know what he means by that. We need synthesis, not rebellion. And the question is whether... Re- rebel wisdom is kind of intimately tied to that kind of rebellion heterodox wave and that its time is passing having a bunch of rich white assholes on to sniff their own farts on your show isn't really rebellious dude this heterodox moment this kind of anti-cancel culture moment now that the things have moved on you feel then you kind of need a fresh start it seems i feel like the cultural conversation is shifting i think that um yeah, that if people like Andrew Sullivan um, recently said the vibes are shifting, like I think we hit Andrew Sullivan, famous for being like a race IQ weirdo, peak woke, and I think we're now coming back. So I think there's a healthier conversation in the mainstream, mm. and I'm drawn to explore what that might look like. Um, kind of maybe going a little bit back to my roots as BBC Channel Four yeah. journalist. Um, the rebelism story isn't quite complete. Um, there's a whole series of pieces that are going to be coming out b- between now and the end of November. Or no- oh, great. Are we going to get more with the fucking demon guy? I hope we get more with the demon guy because the demon guy was my favorite. November when our last event's going to be. So I feel like very creatively inspired as well. Like that was part of the process. Yeah. How long can you p- trick people into paying you for events? Like that's really when rebel wisdom is going to end, right? Is when When can this guy stop getting people to pay him to talk about how great it is that they're talking about how great it is that they've had these conversations. Like how long can he possibly milk that? It's going to, it's longer than you think probably if you're listening to my show and enjoy it in India was actually kind of letting go of the emotional attachment to the project as much as I could. And the sort of sense of identity around the thing that I think has really been my identity for the last four or five years actually i felt a, a huge creative liberation and so many of the things that i was kind of wrestling with now yeah now i feel much more creatively inspired and i i hope there's going to be a lot of really good content well there's gonna be a lot of content i hope it's really good <laughs> um documentaries um written pieces coming out between now and october and november and then i don't quite know what my next thing is but I feel like it's it's going to involve old people's pensions. Yeah. There's this sort of, I don't know how comfortable you are with the kind of spiritual practice, slightly more woo talk, but there, there's something that I think is emerging. Oh no. Oh no. He's going to go like full on spiritual guru. This is going to be great. He's going to be like, um, PayPal, um, Venmo. That is going to be a new thing. Um, rebel wisdom was the right form for its time and I think that something else um, I don't know what that something else is I've got a few sort of broad outlines but I also don't want to um, jump to something before the time is ready for it to have fully kind of uh, 
constellated yet. Totally. It makes sense. Well, maybe we can exploratively uh, feel through what that thing might be by talking a little bit about. We should talk a little bit about how great it is that we're going to talk about talking about how the the next thing is going to happen, actually. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about how wonderful it is that we're sitting on this couch and talking about the fact that we might have a conversation about spirituality and that might have something to do with the next thing you're going to do, which will be conversations about the last thing you were doing and how great that was. That heterodox moment was this moment that you think is passing because it seems that you have a good sense for these kinds of cultural uh, trends. I think you kind of pride yourself on that uh, to some degree, being able to sense when a cultural tidal wave is is brewing. And in a large part, you built rebel wisdom on a certain wager of of that particular tidal wave. That was what we're calling the heterodox moment. Um, so you are probably prescient in sensing that something is changing and you probably have the correct sense that something new is coming and you might not know immediately what it is, but we, why don't we start with what, maybe what, what was looking back on the header on the heterodox moment, you know, maybe with the clarity and detachment, a little bit of, of hindsight, what was it? What was it really? Has your, have your views on it changed or have you learned anything in retrospect um, that, that surprises you? I feel like, so you, you you mentioned kind of putting you used a gambling metaphor was that uh, a wager did i say yeah, yeah yeah so i think you're right i think my my kind of skill is because i've been in the in the media and in the cultural conversation for a very long time inside newsrooms your skill is getting pensioners to give you money for things like a breathwork course that's your core competency because um, i think there's a lot of people who are in the media, but they're maybe kind of like, if they're an opinion columnist or they're sort of just sending in, they're, they're kind of jobbing journalist, they probably will send in articles. They may not have been part of a newsroom, but actually having been part of a newsroom at BBC and Channel 4 and just seen the kind of, been part of those conversations for like 15 years or so, you get a real sense of where the cultural conversation is mm-hmm. um, in a quite a visceral way. And then when I saw Jordan Peterson in 2017, I was like, oh my God, this is this guy's going to go viral <laughs> for so many different reasons. One, because I think there's... Because he was very transphobic and people are very transphobic. Um, from the broader cultural perspective, like the new atheist, the new atheist worldview, I think is full of holes and Peterson was challenging that. And I think that was overdue. He was bringing back... Kind but of, like all the new atheists ended up fucking... They either like, they either like went woke or whatever that means or they ended up liking Jordan Peterson. Um, religion to a to a place that was kind of desperate for a deeper sense of meaning a deeper sense of purpose right. so there's that kind of the meaning crisis mm-hmm. that John Viveki talks about there was that angle that Peterson was was directly talking to then there was the cultural piece of we're in a culture that's lost touch with so many traditional values and is overshot in terms of blank slatism and postmodernism and deconstruction to the point where so many people don't know what the fuck to do mm-hmm. because we've kind of undermined all of these kind of traditional ways of of knowing and and the, so peterson we've undermined all these traditional ways of knowing when he says traditional ways of knowing he just means religious fundamentalism essentially or like some kind of spiritualism some kind of some kind of like <clears throat> dare i say supernatural orthodoxy from on high was definitely bringing that sort of lost traditionalism and the kind of father archetype for a generation of 
particularly young men, but I think of, of many people who were craving that kind of father archetype, like the, the world which says you can be anything that you want to be and just make it up for yourselves. Right. It doesn't give any purpose or direction. So Peterson was coming in with that sense of like, right. But the internet dad phenomena was bad. Were any of them good? Who was the good internet dad? Wasn't Stefan Molyneux. Wasn't no fucking Jordan Peterson. Who else? A Sargon of a cod was like an internet dad kind of. Like all them internet dads were fucking bad people or to the extent that they're still part of the conversation or whatever, they're bad people. Cause they were like, they weren't, they weren't like telling young men, Oh, you know, not everything that's going on here is necessarily your fault. And you know, um, some of it is society, but also you can make your life better in the following ways or whatever. They weren't doing that. They're like, it's all the women. The women are fucking you over. And it's like, well, that doesn't really help anyone. And it just turns these young men who might not have turned into monsters. Well, now you've turned them into monsters. No, there are certain evolved characteristics or certain evolved ways of being that you discount at your peril. While hopefully, I mean, the, the ideal is not being constrained by those. So you're not just purely arguing conservatism, but you are arguing that you, you need to take account of of these things before you're purely arguing conservative it was all very anti wasn't it it was very anti-council culture yeah. anti-woke yes you know, listen to this interview this interview is just saying the same thing over and over and over again a sense of in indignation yeah kind of a sense of marginalization and i feel like all cultural trends that i mean the feeling of indignation mm. especially when it's righteous especially when it's validly righteous mm. you know when there, when there's like something really genuinely to be uh, opposed to that's dominant and wrong and, and stupid um that can be really galvanizing and energizing but it also kind of runs out of steam at a certain point right and and or you become captured by it yourself right okay so what happened with peterson that's fascinating so so there's kind of two things there there's the it naturally runs out of steam mm. once you're anti-something if you if you win then it's no longer really interesting to be anti-something and it does kind of seem like now the people who went full who just forgot about cancel culture or people who like got canceled but kept going mm. it seems like those people are 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 winning i i think and i think we're i mean i've kind of been saying this for a while now, got canceled. now it's increasingly clear that we're we're so past cancel culture that in fact the all the rising stars who i would bet the most on are people who have been fully canceled um, completely. So, but if so they're I, rising I, stars, I, I, how are they fully canceled? I don't understand that. this guy. The cancellation, the cancellation problem has already been defeated. Like all you really need is courage and determination and you got to keep going. But if you do, it's like you come out the other side bigger. So I think that's part of it, in my opinion, um, is that the, 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 the value of being opposed and indignant to this stuff ha is over because you can just ignore it and do great things. And it's even more interesting if you just skip right over it. I think that's part of it. Um, I don't know if you have anything to add to that, but you I don't usually smoke weed during the podcast recording part of this show, captured. but I mean, come yeah, on, you can, like, there is this look at this drivel we're taking, you, we're, if you we're rise consuming here on this kind of indignation and this kind of, uh, righteous opposition, you can kind of get stuck there. Can't you, um, yeah. what have you seen with that regard? What is your diagnosis of Peterson? Um, so Peterson is one example, but I would say what's been fascinating to watch is that over the last sort of four or five years, like the morality tale for me of the whole IDW, intellectual dark web, which was, I'm assuming most of your viewers will know what sure. it is, but kind of like some podcasters, public intellectuals who were identified in 2018. Okay, so I want to just stop right here. <clears throat> One of the main talking points of this show is that we reject the notion that the, a public intellectual is a good thing to be. Um, there are people who are public who are smart and like can figure things out and have insights and stuff. But as soon as somebody gets into that 
into that space where everybody's referring to them as a public intellectual, that person usually either is already or will become soon just a giant piece of shit who is like so full of themselves. And then their fucking fans end up being like the worst people in the world. Their fans end up like just fucking believing everything that person says and like defending them like 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 they're a Scientologist defending L. Ron Hubbard. And so like one of the big things about the show and one of the big things that I think people like about the intellectual Dollar Tree is that we don't care if someone's a public intellectual because they're just as dumb as the fucking rest of us. Everybody's dumb and stupid all at the same time, you know? as this is the solution for the sense-making crisis. The, the mainstream media, the legacy media is so kind of like ideologically captured. There are so many kind of incentive structures that mean that it's no longer a f fit for purpose as a truth-seeking enterprise, which I have a lot of empathy for, mm -hmm. sympathy for as an argument. The argument was these people are independent. They have independent means. They are able to follow truth fearlessly. But when he says independent, independent means he, he says these people are rich. These people are rich and we should listen to them. That's all he's saying here. Realize was that, no, if you're outside the institutions, by definition, you're dependent on your audience. Mm. And that audience kind of feedback becomes a warping factor in what you're able to say, what you're able to do. And I think for a lot of people in a way that is completely imperceptible. Like Peterson is a perfect example of someone who he had that kind of reactive side to him. But when he did that incredible interview with Kathy Newman, why it was so amazing was that he kept his cool. He was calm. He was he was kind of yeah. laughing. He was God. Like, they're like kind of, I think it's fine. Like hearkening Maybe. back to like 2017. Maybe his, his single best piece ever. Yeah. Yeah. It was his manner as much as anything that that won that argument. Mm. And then the more he's become the caricature of himself, that the the kind of far left always said that he was the the less. No, 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 no. He didn't become what the far left said he was. To the to the extent that I am the far left, he was always what the far left said he was. He was always the things that I said he was. Um, the whole time. I think he's going to have the the more he's become a kind of. I think the characterization. Um, this it, it's it's fascinating to me that to see that. And so many people have actually gone backwards in their ability to kind of make sense of the world in their um, the, the bub, the kind of rabbit holes that they've gone down or the, the, the kind of reactivity or conspiratorial ideation. Conspiratorial. But they were doing this the whole time. Like we were talking about this from the jump on this show that these people were conspiracy theorists and that it was conspiratorial ideation. It's just that it had to get so blatant and in everyone's face for hangers on like David Fuller to notice it. Like, like for him, it's like, I'd be like, I feel like somebody's painting on my face and he'd be like, oh, nobody's painting on my face until they paint like right over his eyes. And he's like, oh, I guess they're painting on my face. Well, some of us just noticed it when it was like down over here somewhere, like on our neck or whatever. We're like, I think somebody's painting on me ideation or whatever like there's no curiosity there's no openness there's mm. no kind of people have become more and more extreme versions of whatever their views were maybe back in 2018 mm. and that's a really fascinating and there's so many reasons for that i think right. i think relative fame in later life after you've kind of felt that you've got something special to share for most of your life is a really warping factor 
um, especially if you're not used to that kind of popularity that's a big issue that has really kicked in for a lot of these people um, well it's hard enough to change your mind when you're older mm. but to do it with the baggage of uh, millions of people who love you for one specific thing that you represent yeah you know it, I have a lot of sympathy for that. How? No, that. Why do you have sympathy for that? That's poor. That's called poor character. If you're famous for believing such, and let's say in Jordan Peterson's case, he became famous for a belief that he had about Canadian Bill C-16. That belief was false. When he was presented with the text of Canadian Bill C-16 and people telling him, no, that's not really what's going on here. He displayed poor character by saying to himself or I don't know if he said it to himself finding ways to like justify or rationalize that he's like you know what I'm going to go with the crowd that's uh, making me feel famous instead of just being like oh I guess I got it wrong it's got to be almost impossible to yeah. significantly update yeah and I know? felt I felt that kind of viscerally from the inside like the YouTube comments thread and the the kind of the audience that you've attracted and where you're algorithmically placed. Mm. Like I know where rebel wisdom is algorithmically placed and who the kind of where people are coming right. from. And it's people that most of our viewers are coming from like Jordan Peterson or Russell Brand or uh, the dark horse and all of them to one degree or another, like Russell Brand is now like full on clickbait um, <laughs> conspiratorial. Is he? I didn't notice. Yeah, that. I didn't like, that. I but he wasn't, he wasn't that when I first encountered him, but he's been that for a while now. Like a lot of people just got COVID brain. They didn't even necessarily had to get COVID to get COVID brain. Out of his channel and look, really? at, look at the kind of look at the titles of the videos. Like he's completely changed. <laughs> wow. Um, and so many of these people have really. You saw which way the money tree was blowing, Dave, just like you did. And in a way, like Rebel Wisdom was part of that. We definitely had were sort of part of that kind of heterodox wave of 2018 onwards. Yeah, you were. Uh, we at first we were like, this show is about the intellectual dark web and their adjacent assholes. And this guy was just one of the adjacent assholes. Try to have a deeper sense of practice, self reflection, um, mindfulness. Our sense making course, for example, is is not just is, uh, just five hundred and fifty dollars and mostly sold to pensioners make sense of the world but how do you make sense of your of ourselves how do we make sense of our kind of motivations how do we look at our shadow motivations how do we look at kind of how we're being manipulated by the tools that we're using all of these sort of things mm -hmm. and try to bring in a bit more of a kind of holistic perspective than just being about the ideas or just being about kind of so like well, a cult like a religious cult i wanted to build rebel wisdom much bigger i would have just carried on kind of following the anti-woke um, right. playbook because there's a huge audience for that content on youtube like yeah. people just want to keep hearing that you know what's funny is like there might be some people in my audience who find some of um rebel wisdom's angles a little woo as you you know yeah. self-deprecatingly alluded to uh modestly alluded to as you self-deprecatingly and modestly alluded to just fucking just give him a handy my friend just give david fuller a handy come on this is a date but interestingly the benefit and the value of that is showing itself in this case where you have this detachment and this humility and this ability to step back and say you know what 
this was temporary. This was for a particular moment. I see where I think other people are going off the deep end and we're going to make the decision to just wrap this up and pivot onto something else. And, you know, in a, in a way, if people are skeptical of, of what might sound a little woo, it actually is really showing off its, its strength. And, and no, you don't need to believe in some kind of supernatural thing to be like, you know what I'm doing actually seems to be coming to an end here. And to the extent that it isn't coming to an end, I don't want to be a part of what it's becoming anymore because I, whatever reason, I find it distasteful. I find it dishonest. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. You could do that without like believing in the supernatural or having any kind of spiritual awareness or awakening. People jump shit on things all the time or jump ship, jump ship on things all the time without having to like even do a whole lot of introspection much less any have any kind of spiritual awakening. People just realize, oh, the party's over. Sometimes they just realize that at a party and go home. And it's advantage in a moment like this because it's really hard to wrap If up. I showed up at this party, the party would be over and I'd be going home. Thing that is financially successful, that's that you can keep growing if you want to. It takes a lot of mindfulness and a lot of awareness and, and genuine kind of commitment to real values to be able to say, Oh, okay, this is succeeding and keeps growing, but it's not what needs to happen now. I want to do something different. And to have the mindfulness for that, it, that probably you can only get that with the kind of mindfulness that no. you're so interested in. So, no, you know, I think that's actually. A, but to have the mind, uh, first of all, this guy's talking in circles. He's like, well, to have that kind of mindfulness, you need the mindfulness that you used. Get, 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 come on. It's like the possibly the worst interview we've watched on Intellectual Dollar Tree. I'm here for it. Don't get me wrong, but this might be one of the worst interviews we've ever watched on this show a pretty powerful lesson to the people who maybe are skeptical of all the mindfulness. <laughs> yeah. And I'd say that of, of the, the mindfulness gets uh, kind of a bad rap, but it's because it's been like sort of hijacked by a bunch of woo people being mindful just means like thinking about what you're doing. Like, why would that be bad? Like, why would it get a bad rap to just be like, Oh, well, you know, what am I actually doing right now? Like, how am I behaving? How's that going to impact others? Is that good or bad? Like that's all great stuff actually. And people need to do a little bit more of it when they start with the, <coughs> excuse me. They, a lot of these people think you can only like have mindfulness through some sort of ritual. And that's not true. Um, the people in that original constellation, I think have gone least off the rails. I'd, I'd say Sam Harris and Joe Rogan, both of whom are kind of have got Joe Rogan's gone all the way off the rails that they're mm. that they're doing mm. sam obviously with his meditation background joe i think is much more of an embodied person like he's got the mm he's got the um mma like he's 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 used to being he's got resilience he's got kind of embodied resilience right um and i have to say like i, I it's not that i have no doubts about the wrap-up of rebel wisdom i still kind of i'm like am i really you were, we did a video before I moved about how he was doing his last rebel wisdom video and he's done enough of them that we've done, I don't know, a, a half of our episodes, maybe either during the actual like podcast recording or during the post game, they've been rebel wisdom videos. This guy didn't wrap up with rebel wisdom and he's never going to, he's just going around acting holier than thou right now. It's, it's amazing is this the right decision? And I've got plenty of people telling me that it's not the right decision. Um, it still feels right that something else, it's not the right vehicle for whatever, whatever I feel needs to come, come next. Right. But, sure. but there's also a sense of like, 
um, yeah, there's, there's a real sense of kind of um, almost a grieving process that I feel to go through first before sure. deciding what it is that comes next. Sure, fair enough. So you have this theory that COVID was an inflection point for mm. sending some people off the rails. Come on, he has this theory. Get It, it was clearly an inflection point. Like, what do you mean you, David, David Fuller has this theory? Get the fuck out of here. David Fuller didn't, everybody figured that out. Everybody paying attention. Everybody who was doing like uh, social commentary in any sort of way had to figure out that no matter where you land on either you, somebody who doesn't even believe the things that I believe or somebody who's like on the opposite end of the spectrum, as far as like COVID uh, masks, uh, vaccines, uh, the, uh, the, the request to stay at home. They know that this was an inflection point too, where people got into a couple different camps and dug in. Yeah. Like this is, this is not even, I'm not even sure this is like a theory. I'm, this is like, like, like it's like a, it's like history. It's like what happened. It's like we all watched it and we all participated in it too, to some extent. And this kind of dynamic you're describing where people over time at a certain level of fame kind of tend to get captured by their audience and become a caricature of themselves. What did COVID change? What exactly did COVID accelerate? And what was it about COVID that seemed to push people off the deep end uh, more rapidly? Mm. So I think COVID was like a catalyst. You know what he's not going to say and that we knew immediately is that everybody's stuck at home. And so no matter who you are, or what content you're creating, COVID was the time to try to grab your audience. Uh, we did a bad job of it. We should have, I mean, there should be a lot more people like watching and consuming our content, considering uh, all things considered. And, you know, like that's just, that's just how it is, but they're not, he's not going to bring this up is that there were a lot of people sitting around at home who were unhappy about what's going on. And you were, if you were able to capture that audience, you could have gone from zero to one of the most, not maybe one of the most popular people, but to a very popular person very quickly. We didn't, we thought maybe we could, and we did everything, you know, we gave it a try, but we didn't. And David Fuller's not going to bring that up. It was an accelerator of a lot of stuff that was already there. And from a sense-making perspective, a truth-seeking perspective, I feel like it, there are a lot of people who are pushed into, um, what do you call, not quite trauma, but this is something John Bavakey said. He predicted right at the beginning of, of the pandemic that there was going to be a, a huge rise in conspiratorial thinking because the nature- But you platformed all of it until you decided it was distasteful to keep doing it, David of the the threat is is kind of ever present but it's invisible there's these purity codes about kind of washing your hands and like he's like this puts us into a very kind of old testament way of thinking yeah it's like this is triggering so many so you get kind of apophenia overactive kind of pattern recognition we're much more open to kind of yeah conspiratorial thinking but also on the other side flipping into um just completely kind of um what peter Lindbergh would call um thesis covid thesis just do do what you're told don't question and i think on both sides like the but that's the, that's a the, that's a dichotomy that i don't think really existed he's this is just a false choice he's like you're either a conspiracy theorist or you just do what you're told because you're a sheep that's like that's one of the main things you have to think to be a conspiracy theorist now don't get me wrong he's going to tell you if he if he gets around to it 
he's going to tell you that him and his audience didn't do that. They're going to be the only ones. They were doing the sense-making. But he just posited, like the, like, the core tenet of conspiratorial thinking is this black and white with us or against us. And he just said, either, either you became a conspiracy theorist, like full-on conspiracy theorist, or you just did what you were told and are a sheep. And it's like, that's conspiracism. Like one of the five things. The conversation fragmented and really fragmented around the, the COVID kind of thesis and antithesis where they weren't talking to each other. And this was a fundamental rift, particularly in America, I think. Um, we kind of kept it together a little bit more in the UK for various reasons. Mm. Like it never felt like it completely fractionated society in the okay. same way. Wait, what okay. word did he use? Maybe it never felt like it completely fractionated society. Fractionate, I, I'm sure that's okay. a word, but why Maybe use it? It would be it? interesting to go through them a little bit because you pay close attention to this space. So I, I don't always necessarily. So um, I pay closer attention to the space than like Fuller did because if, if he had been paying close attention to the space, he wouldn't have gotten himself like in with all these wackadoodles that he's like bemoaning that he got himself in with. What a poor judge of character this guy is. He went wrong. What was this big recent uh, inflection point in your diagnosis? Um, I mean, now, if you follow him on Twitter, you're basically seeing him um, insulting uh, plus-size uh, black swimwear models. Oh, I recall that tweet. Uh, it's just <laughs> like, what? So that's that like, you, like none of the other warning signs for Jordy P from his behavior at all. were like, he's like, well, this guy seems like maybe he's not behaving very well. The whole weird shit about going to Russia and the benzos. Nope. All that was fine. He's like, I thought that lady was hot. And so that was the, that was it for me. That was it for me and old Jordy Pete. I thought that lady was hot and he didn't. So I just we can't be friends anymore. Jordy Pete. And coming back and saying oh twitter just with with no kind of like oh no admittance of like actually you know what it was a silly thing to have tried to have done this on twitter um i'll do it as a podcast but no coming back with just full everyone's being beastly to me i'm going to give up twitter and it's everyone else's fault it's like right really like that's the personal responsibility guy that's how he right. was like that, that's how he behaved already. the entire time fuller you just noticed it because for whatever reason, like, I'm not even kidding. He probably thought that lady was hot. Right. And so like, cause it's the only way he would end up, end up at this place. Otherwise he'd be like, Oh, it was just, uh, it was just, uh, you know, expressing his opinion. Already understand enough how these platforms work. Right. It's like, uh, yeah. it's, we can't really feign surprise anymore. Right. When it's like, yeah. when you say something that's, you know, provocative, we know how these platforms work. We know what happens. Right. It's like, there's a lot of that, isn't there? There's a lot of this kind of like feigned surprise or feigned shock. Like um, this stuff plays out over and over again every day on Twitter. And it's like yeah. everyone insists on, you know, being uh, being shocked and awed when uh, they say something provocative and ever and their mentions are filled with insane amounts of hatred and antagonism. <laughs> There's a you tell me if you've heard this. You're obviously um, sort of deep in different kind of intellectual traditions and. There's something about the feedback loop of social media that I think is having an unexpected consequence of forcing people to constellate and kind of crystallize around their ideas and their ideology. 
and often like some of their worst ideas mm. because you put it out there on social media people criticize it you end up defending it so you build up your you know, what this is called david is this is called poor character he he keeps like acting like people who have poor character it's new actually that are the some famous people are shit is what he's saying right he's like he's like oh this person can't handle criticism this must be new from social media no dude there have always been people who can't handle criticism. Like, what is this? This is like the most naive shit I've ever heard this guy say, I think. Like, what are you talking about? Or psychological attachment to something that maybe... Some old bigoted professor can't take criticism? You don't say. You should only have... Maybe not old, middle-aged bigoted professor, right? right? Confidence in. So it seems that people crystallize their, their personality and their worldviews because they're forced to defend it because because this sort of tribalizing aspect comes in on twitter as well right. and it's like it's like they kind of so th as it so as the, the, what he's doing here is weird and it, i mean i'm gonna have a hard time explaining it but i i see people do this a lot he's like almost taking away the agency of the person who is in the center of what he would describe as like a cancel culture firestorm or whatever and that once they do something stupid <clears throat> that they're they have no control over how anything plays out after right he's like he's like oh well you did a you did a thing and now everybody's complaining at you for it well you could apologize you could go oops and move on because people fuck up all the time and just go oops and then they move on and most of the time depending unless what they did was just incredibly really bad people generally forgive them because they're just like just a person and so Everybody he's talking, Jordan Peterson specifically had every opportunity to just do this and just never did it. And so now he's like living with the consequences of the, the, that behavior. And, but David, Ru David, David Rubin, David Fuller is almost acting. He's almost taking Jordan Peterson's ability to act and change what happens out of it. As soon as like the thing initiates, I don't know. I hope I'm not doing my own sense making or my own fucking word salad here. As social media works at the moment, it kills curiosity. It seems to kill growth. It seems to kill any opportunity for dialogue across the divides because it's quite effectively tribalized. And those divisions between the tribes are, are viciously policed as well. Mm, like right. if you see kind of if you start to learn the, the landscape, you realize like how how well established and there's sort of different roles of people like policing the boundaries of various right. tribes and all right. of that starts to come in yeah um so there's yeah i'd love to hear what? your thoughts yeah. on that there is something about about that feedback loop with social media that seems to to just crystallize people into a kind of like they've assumed their final form in a way and their final form gets more and more kind of reactive and but those are just those people have bad character i can't like ex i can't like stress this enough that he's he can't david fuller just has such a hard time recognizing when people's character is just bad right i think jordan peterson's fucking problems generally come from the fact that he has bad character and you know maybe i'm wrong maybe that's ad hominem or whatever but it never it seems to never occur to david fuller that he, some of the people he was like palling around with just had bad character the whole fucking time and he couldn't figure it out yeah, definitely. I think the mechanism that you're describing is, is something along the lines of this. It's like, and I don't know how I'd do with millions of fans. Maybe I'd fuck up and double down. Well, and I guess my character ain't that great either, is it? 
ones, you know, like provocative ideas that draw a lot of polarization, draws haters, but also draws lovers. Those ideas are the ones that you get the most social media growth around, basically. And so, in a way, if you say something on the internet that gets you a big burst of new followers, you to keep growing, you have to respect the, that burst of new followers, or you won't keep growing. And so any social media platform is gain is intrinsically. Gain oh, no. Yeah. It's like what he's the, like what this guy's saying. He, he's like, it's like the Nazi bar argument. Right. <laughs> so if anybody's never heard the Nazi bar, it's like the idea that if you let a couple Nazis hang out a table in your bar, that uh, maybe a couple weeks later, the other patrons might notice that they're Nazis and be like, oh, I'm not going to really hang out here as much. And so then like a few of your regular patrons leave and the Nazis go, hey, you know what? Some of the regular patrons left and uh, we're still here. Let's tell our friends to come hang out at this bar. And so then now there's now there's Nazis at your bar and then all the rest of your patrons leave because there's just like 20 Nazis there. And now you have a Nazi bar. And that's what he's he's like if you if you do something controversial and a bunch of fucking shitty people show up well i guess you need to respect those people that are shitty that show up or you're not going to keep growing and i just come back to well if that's what you decide to do then you have bad character and every bit of like <clears throat> you know short of like real abuse and doxing and stuff every bit of vitriol and criticism, even the harshest criticism that comes your way is now deserved because of the decisions you've made about what kind of audience you're willing to cultivate in order to make money. And so it's not like, again, it just takes the agency of the, per oh, I guess this fucking thing happened to them. Now they have all these followers and some of them are dirtbags. And so just I guess they just got to be nice to the dirtbags. Well, no, they don't. They just do it because fucking money, 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 money. go up right you most that's what most social media are they're like a, a, a video games for adults where like the the medium of the game is words you type words in or or pictures or whatever you know it's like an adult video game but ultimately at the end of the day most Should i see if this other guy will have me on his show to talk about sense making i feel like i could get on this guy's show i don't want to go to his weird room though just want to make their follower count go up that that's probably game, smell right? weird so i think that's essentially what's happening uh in what you describe it's that because I've noticed this, I've noticed this that like, I've had a few, you know, kind of nuclear tweets over the years. And in those, in those nuclear tweets, you get a ton of haters, but you also get a ton of new followers. And it's, it was very clear to me. It was always very clear to me. I could just choose for the next six months after one of those nuclear tweets to just keep saying stuff like that, throw as much red meat as possible to all those new people. Right. And also piss off all the same people who are getting pissed off, who inadvertently share, share it even more. Right. Uh, and it was always clear that that was a very available growth path. And if most people are just playing this, these things like videos, I don't know who this guy is. I'm not sure that, that I, I don't know if that growth path was available to him. I mean, it's as available to him as it is to me. Right. But like, until you reach a certain level on there, like you have to have like 50 or a hundred thousand followers on Twitter before you're even, before you even have to consider any of this stuff, I think basically trained by the platforms to do, then it makes sense from like an evolutionary game theory perspective that at the end, in, in the in the final equilibrium, the, the platform is only going to surface people who basically double down on those growth opportunities. Because if you, if you don't, and like I haven't, um, every time I've gone super nuclear on some provocative tweet, 
I, I set that aside for a little bit. I like stepped away from it. I talked about other things, right? Because I don't I don't want to be like known for one or two provocative tweets or whatever. It's not like what I'm upset. I'll be the fucking hot take guy if it pays all my bills and I live comfortably. Fuck it. With, so I don't want to be as that. As long as it's like one or two hot takes that are actually pretty decent takes and people are just fucking mad about it or whatever. I'll be like, stay mad. Um, so I go on to other things. Um, and you know, uh, you know, people could say this is just cope or whatever, but I, I'm not as big as I could be because I write about all kinds of things and I try my honest best to not really have a tribe. And, uh, Oh, that's its own tribe. Oh God. I, David Fuller will never talk to me. Um, he, he has complained behind my back about me to people on mutuals with him on uh, Twitter, which is strange because we're so much smaller than him. And especially at the time. This other guy, I would love to talk to this other guy, the guy interviewing him, because I would just have this guy for lunch. I would be so polite and I would just have the, I would this I would just have this guy for lunch. He's so like just very surface level, just like there's nothing there. I, I don't think it's cope. I think it's actually just honest and objective to say that like my audience could be much bigger if I just leaned harder into I was like a Jordan if I decided to be like a Jordan Peterson fan and a Brett Weinstein fan and ally and mm -hmm you know, cozied up to all those guys early, early days, got them on my podcast early and, you know, ingratiated myself in those communities and all, you know, that, that, like you can do that and you can grow faster that way. And I do pride myself a little bit on being a lone wolf and, and I've never done that. But my point is not to, I mean, this is like me saying this stuff. I've I don't seen, know how, how popular and, is this and I guy. Do this is empirically. I mean, I don't have any followers on Odyssey. Oh, he's got 1600 followers on Odyssey. That's actually good because nobody's on Odyssey. Valid that. Um, yeah, there's just strong selection pressures in favor of doing more of that thing that is provocative. But the perversity of that is that often the thing that gets you growth is like a dumb idea or a bad idea or or the most extreme idea or, or ridiculous ideas and you end up. But there's a way in which like a bad, like what if I all of a sudden like pe somebody hella famous just shared out that fucking, fucking clip of me from this channel where I was saying like that Ben Shapiro is a problematic wood, right? Like if that went fucking viral, it's funny. I would be fine with like getting a bunch of followers off that, even though it was ridiculous. It's like harmless. It's not, it's not hurting anybody except maybe the soul of a few people who read it or down see it. The hardest on the, on some of your weakest ideas. Um, so that's how I, I think that is true. I think that is how it works. Mm. And so in the case of, so you talked a little bit about Peterson. What about uh, Brett Weinstein? What, what was his trajectory and where did he, where did he go wrong? Um, it's a difficult one to talk about because Brett, um, I felt, I felt more of a kind of personal friendship with mm. Brett. And well, that's the problem with all of this actually, is if you're supposed to be like a dispassionate observer of the, the body politic and the conversations going on, can't really be buddy buddies with the people you're supposed to be doing analysis about. Can you? Uh, we'd done quite a lot of events together and i respect um, him a lot yeah 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 I, I i always did and he's kind of part of the the, the broader networks of a lot of the other people that mm -hmm. we featured and um and there was a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes at the time when we had what amounted to a kind of falling out um and my main point was always trying to keep the dialogue open and brett brett even to this day has not hosted a single medical figure who contradicts the narrative that he's been putting forward about ivermectin and vaccines. But they never had anybody on who was capable of talking about subject matters that they were talking about who might disagree with them before, even before the, the, the pandemic. 
like these none of them did it was the joke about the idws that all of them were terrified of sam cedar right so this what this isn't like how, how why is this guy so bad at judging character that a fucking global pandemic has to happen and people need to act in ways that are just unbelievably stupid for this guy to be like oh oh maybe i shouldn't have been associating with that person like what like how naive do you have to be um and my my feeling was that that particular that particular topic the vaccines the ivermectin all of that stuff that was one of the most uh heated areas of the of the culture never really it, it then blew up i mean ironically it blew up with with joe rogan only about six months afterwards when he hosted some of the same people brett had been hosting back in i think summer 20 20 yeah summer 21 um and yeah i i, I don't really um yeah it, it was difficult and it's the difficult dynamics as well that no one really knows how to deal with and you heard sam harris kind of addressing it a little bit as well we don't really know what to do when we've when we've our personal brand gets tied up with our like we knew when that when we were in the media and wait how do you not know how okay he's just saying and he, he's not going to say it because it, it sounds stupid and like almost like a schoolyard when my friend does a stupid thing i don't know how to handle it because that's my friend but they also did a stupid thing I just don't know what to do. I'm a full-grown adult, supposedly even to some extent a public intellectual, but I, I just I just don't know what to do when someone who is very popular, I think they're causing harm. If what like if they're my friend, like what do I do? Again, these people all have just really very poor character and are so so very concerned with their interpersonal relationships with these other famous people that they that even like just the simplest shit in the world where you go, okay, I either stick with my friend even though they're wrong or I speak out against my friend because they're wrong enough that I need to speak out against them. Just that decision now just is like the most difficult fucking thing in the world. Institutions, we had some game rules. We understood some game rules. Now that we're all our own platforms and you've got personal relationships tied up with truth-seeking, we don't know what to do. Mm. We don't know what to do. Um, well, but that's in that wait, like he's telling on himself, right? Like, he's like, I have no integrity. I have, like, no, like, ethical or moral foundation for how I'm conducting myself in this space. And so, like, when a thing comes up where my friend is doing a bad, bad, I, we just, I'm just not equipped for it. He's trying to say the world isn't equipped for it, I think. But it's just him who's not equipped for it. Because all the people he's been around have, like, really shitty character. And so by the transitive property of shitty character, I think David Fuller has shitty character. And none of these people like believe in anything or care about anything enough for it to like, for it to like trigger something in their brain when somebody else is doing something stupid. And it's all just like, isn't it nice that we're having this conversation? Well, all of a sudden it isn't nice that you're having this conversation. Is it? You can't handle it, which is a mind blowing thing to hear an adult say. And I wasn't necessarily, I, I looked into some of the claims that, particularly some of Brett's guests and Brett were making on ivermectin and vaccines and they didn't seem to add up. But at the same time, that's not really the priority. The priority for me was how do you create um, opportunity? Because if Brett was right about some of these, these are really important topics. If Brett's wrong, they're really important topics as well. Like lives are at stake. Right. But what that's you, why we don't we're just ask Brett. 
these questions, you idiot. <laughs> Brett isn't even the right person to answer most of the questions you're talking about. So you got that. You do when one of your friends is putting out stuff that looks to me like he's putting lives at risk. Hmm. Um, we don't really know like what it's a it's a real moral dilemma i i know I it's not it's a fucking black and white question you have very few of them you either stick by your friend or you don't Those to put out a it might be a hard decision were, but it's not there's not there's not a lot to it the way that he was going about things i'll be right I back i need more caffeine increasingly he's now gone down a particular rabbit hole he was just recently at a conference in bath which was hosted by del bigtree old school anti-vaccine activist okay. like the narrative of oh we're not we're not criticizing vaccines we're just criticizing these vaccines but now like that's it's not true like the the interesting narrative dynamic now is that the people who now covid is kind of going away as a live issue and he couldn't figure out at the beginning when these when brett and heather were using the very common very well-known anti-vaccine talking points around the covid vaccine he couldn't even be fussed to be like, hmm, let me check their Twitters for the word vaccine. Because they had anti-vaccine stuff on their Twitter before. It just wasn't a big part of what they were doing. So again, this guy just, whatever he's supposed to be doing with his with journalism, I guess, this guy like not cut out for it. Not skeptical enough, not cynical enough, wants to be friends with everybody. We're sort of following that conspiratorial path going to go. Great Reset, WEF, Klaus Schwab, like it, it, yeah. there's there's kind of conspiracy inflation that people like Majid Nawaz have already kind of gone further down, and it's like uh, people and and Brett and Heather were conspiracy theorists before. Path, I don't think that path's particularly helpful. I don't think it's before the pandemic. Brett Weinstein called QAnon an argument. We literally named the podcast that QAnon is an argument or something. He wouldn't even call it a conspiracy theory. I think he called it an argument. Um, mm -hmm. my, my friend Jamie Wheel called it malevolent design. Mm. It's kind of this sort of sense of like the them. It's a psychological attractor. Sure. And it's a psychological attractor that I think stops people thinking. It, 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 people should have equal skepticism of the narratives on both sides. And I think the problem with a lot of the of the No, you shouldn't. Contrarian space is that they were. No, right. you shouldn't both sides of what again plumber or not a plumber one they both claim they have a, a great way to fix your fucking plumbing should you just have equal skepticism of both people like both sides like what are these people talking about rightfully skeptical of the mainstream narratives and completely oblivious to the audience capture to right. the the uh, commercial incentives the commercial incentives on the conspiratorial side are huge like huge amounts of people who are donating to people who are following that. The whole conspirituality tendency during the pandemic was a load of wellness influencers who realized that when they started sharing QAnon stuff, they got a lot more traction. Right. No, that was happening before the pan. Oh my God. I, I feel like, I, I feel like it's the worst thing in the web. I feel like these, they should have just listened to me. Like, I don't know. You could go back. Like you go back at our podcast. We were talking about all this stuff before the pandemic hit. Like, and we're, we were dumb. We're dumb. We're drunks. We smoke weed. We like aren't like public intellectuals, and we figured out like what was going. Like what the fuck, man? Why are these very smart people so bad at figuring out when someone else is full of shit? 
and so there's a huge attraction I, yeah i think the people that people don't seem to yeah the frustration i have at least from the comments thread that i see is 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 just the naivety just the lack of kind of willingness to challenge the narratives on both sides with equal skepticism the other thing is there's just not and why do there have to be two different i mean on some of them like the issues of the day they're probably like 10 competing narratives at any given time not two i just made up 10 but it ain't two frame is uh a massively selected for it's a growth hack i mean it's like yeah if you can just say a little man willing to speak the truth against them the, the yeah kind of the people are just is. so much more likely to share and to love it and to get enthusiastic if you can frame anything you're saying if you can frame it as righteously opposed to some other entity or them um it will always get more traction people will love it more people will identify with it more they'll get more excited uh they'll be more likely to share and um, I've seen that a lot for sure. So, you know, it's interesting to think, you know, from your perspective, what what do you think is the key to building viable media in this context, right? Because obviously you're taking a step back to think well, about take pensioners money. It's been working for David Fuller and, and you're you're very sensitive to these things. Um, but it sounds like, you're, you know, you're still invested in media. You still yeah. are you're thinking about building a production company. What what do you think might be some leads? I know you don't have this all figured out yet, but what are some touchstones or some key I, key ideas or bullet points for the future of of independent media that somehow dodges all of these kind of um, biases and selection effects? It's a really good question because you can also look at something like Substack mm-hmm. as as a similar mm-hmm. problem because people on Substack, there's the same dynamic. They attract a certain audience. It's very sort of narrow casting. They then have to look for more and more content that feeds that particular audience, that particular narrative. And I think that's been problematic as well. I think that I think there are some people who do push back against their audience. I want to give a shout out to someone like Daniel Pinchbeck, who, Who's that? despite being in a very kind of conspiratorial ecosystem, has taken stances that are unpopular with his audience. He's called out. He's called out Russell Brand, for example, for, and he was. Very, I found him very to have a lot of moral clarity over Ukraine and Russia when a lot of the conspiratorial ecosystem was falling prey. So you're friends in a conspiratorial ecosystem, and you have a lot of respect for him for occasionally saying something that they don't agree with. Creators can still push back against the tide, but the tide's pretty, pretty intense in one direction. Right. The other thing. Oh, this is this is one of the questions that I have for whatever comes next after Rebel Wisdom is that I was feeling a sort of sense of um, discomfort with some of the attractors like part of the business model of Rebel Wisdom was obviously the courses that we were putting on yep yep Um, oh oh they were not cheap they were not cheap I wrote an article about it on the defamation times never happened like there was never a point where I was like oh well actually I need to be critical of John Bavacchio I need to be critical of um, one of the people who's doing a course with us but we could easily have not without uh could easily have had a course with brett and heather for example we did i did events with brett and heather like back in 2019 so yeah do you see the problem i did i did feel like i was compelled to put they're like bad people do you see the problem did but there could have been other business relationships so how do you balance purely truth seeking with the incentive structures right and also the invisible incentive structures particularly in the kind of heterodox space where people with big platforms don't get criticized by people within their own. Like I think so many people are self-sacrificing and not saying things they know 
or they believe to be true because of the kind of social dynamics, because of the kind of feeling of, well, maybe if I criticize this person, I won't be able to get on their podcast again or right. like all of these different things. Like what are the failure conditions? In Imagine thinking, what if I was trying to, oh, what if I want to get on the David That's Fuller podcast? That guest can never talk about him. I'd love like, to. Come on. Whatever comes next for me, I'd love to build in some of this kind of um, mimetic. Yeah, Weinstein. When you uh, said Brett and Heather, yeah. From the beginning. Um, yeah. And I don't quite know what that looks like. I think it, I think it has to be somehow somehow probably user-generated in terms of being, being funded by um, either bigger or smaller people who are able to kind of um, empower you to cut, to follow stuff, but you've got to be careful that you don't select for an audience that's pushing you in a particular direction. Right. Are there enough people who kind of value nuance, value kind of um, you following wherever the kind of uncomfortable right. exploration will lead? And I, I, don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm I'm really more and more aware of all of the different factors that handicap pure truth seeking. Mm-hmm. Um, Okay, well, it sounds like you're still favorable to crowdfunding. Like you're not, you're not. Yes, like of course. Yes, the pensioners, they're going to still give them money. Absolutely. Positive in terms of relative to traditional, you know, the, the way that traditional media would be funded. You sounds like your impression is that crowdfunding is still better than the old world. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think so. But I you think, think it sounds like you think the quality control or the the problems, the mimetic prote- protection, to use your excellent phrase, comes mm. in more at the level almost of, 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 of selecting who comes in or who it depends, it's for. Yeah, or. crowdfunding is fine depending on who the crowd is. <laughs> yeah. Because crowdfunding can also, like, for example, I think Dave Rubin, the, the Dave Rubin trajectory is really fascinating. Mm. Um, so what if, if anyone hasn't watched the, the Timber on Toast series about Dave Rubin, the battle, Dave Rubin's Battle of Ideas, have you seen that? No. It's you have to watch it. So give us the TLDR on, on um, Ruben's It's four tra- hours of Ruben's trajectory from, hey, I think there's a problem with when he did, did this. I think his first interview was with Sam Harris, where he was just sort of leaving the Young Turks and being like, hey, I think there's a problem with intolerance on the left. Yeah. I'm a liberal. To then, pl- <laughs> then basically having Milo Yiannopoulos on, realizing that the anti-woke thing was getting all of the, all of the views and getting more and more extreme up to in 2020, he was basically kind of queuing on light, saying Trump's got something. He basically full on Trump apologist at the time of kind of January the sixth. Pretty like, much. Like, but like, we, but like this guy was like, sure. this yeah. guy was like not this. It took this. How long did it take him to figure this out about Dave Rubin? Like 2020. Like, come on, man. Yeah. Oh, kicking. But what? Yeah, I mean, what, Dave Rubin was yeah, so exactly. obviously think, like, like just dumb, irrelevant. But he was culturally the whole time. for a while because he was cohering a conversation in this very interesting space at the beginning of the whole IDW movement. But I think he was always, always pretending to be something that he wasn't. Right. Um, in a way, now that he's a full-on Republican um, advocate, I think he's less. Um, like there's less of a problem now because I think he's he's identifying himself as what he is. But for a while he was just like, oh, I'm just interested in ideas. I'm just, I'm, I'm right, just. Following yeah, he was just doing what you're doing right now. It was always. Well, or he was just doing what you're doing right now. The reason I mention that is because I'm pretty sure that it's his audience, the Patreon audience, and the people who are supplying, who are basically giving funding him to make the program, who are the radicalizing factor because they were attractive for that kind of strong anti-woke. All right. But then again, the Dave Rubin just has shitty character. Like, what do you like when rebel was, he just keeps telling this, like almost the same story over and over and over again about people that he couldn't figure out had shitty character already. Dave Rubin. And they were the sort of like red meat 
anti-woke stuff. Oh, and then and over time, mm -hmm. we attracted a different audience, many of whom have got a background in things like integral theory or developmental thinking, and they were much more comfortable with kind of nuance and, and more um, less strident. So I think it's possible to create an audience that is not pulling you too far in that direction. Whereas if you start doing stuff about conspiracy or if you start doing stuff about kind of vaccines, you are going to attract a particular audience. And they, I've got a friend who their um, friends of theirs, basically wellness influencers who did go down the conspiritual conspirituality route, found their followings like 50x or 100x during the pandemic. But he was he was saying like on one side he's kind of jealous of them, but on another side he's like that audience will eat them alive if they now kind of in any way backtrack from the positions right. they've been. Did you just use the posting. word conspirituality? Yeah. Oh, I haven't I haven't heard that. Okay. Well, that's because you're an idiot. Okay, but mm. it makes obvious sense to me when you yeah. say it. Conspiracy, conspiracy, and spirituality. If he's not even going to name, he's not even going to say like drop the our, our friend's podcast about it. He knows he knows about like julian and derek and i forget who else do uh, the conspirituality podcast but he's not going to draw he's not going to suggest anybody listen to it sure which is a huge because a lot of the conspiracy theories are pseudo-religious in a way yeah there's that but but it's more that they've criticized david fuller like i have and wellness influencers became increasingly conspiratorial during the pandemic oh okay. and there's an overlap oh, it wasn't during the pandemic the whole, but there's it no, there's existed prior and a vulnerability in the spiritual community because the spiritual community like before the pandemic you know, people were talking about the yoga studio to QAnon pipeline like this guy like this is a this is a person whose finger was not on the pulse secret the whole kind of like right. imagine magical thinking of just if you positive visualizations creating your right. own reality yep. and so it, in a way it's like a po already a positive conspiracy thinking <laughs> yeah conspiracy right, theory. right and it doesn't take much before it flips into the kind of opposite of that boy this is sure insightful thanks everything i can't believe everything's it. arranged everything is kind of organized everything is instead of it being a positive right. conspiracy it's a negative one right um so yeah there's a great podcast called Conspirituality. Where oh, shit, he did mention Derek. And wow. Yes. Yeah, that's Derek fascinating. Parker. It makes perfect sense, right? Because that's the that's basically the pros and cons of high openness, right? The, the, advantage, the disadvantage is apophania. And, yeah. you know, you, if you're open-minded, that's really great. You can be exposed to truths that other people are, aren't willing to see. You can also subscribe to just uh, falsehoods that, that are actually just uh, randomness. Yeah. So, yeah, interesting. So, okay, let's talk about a little bit... But, of some of the things that you are, you know, more interested in that you think might possibly be, you know, topics that are like topics, know. like, what do you want to like things that, you know, topics, what are you interested in things? Like, what is this guy doing here to stay or, or of increasing relevance rather than decreasing relevance? I think masculinity is something that you're, Oh, here we go. Oh no, this will probably be the last segment we do before we go into red light on this, by the way. This is going to be the creepy men's rights activist stuff, or maybe it'll be like bro science ball tanning stuff, but this is going to be cringe. This is for sure not going to be, not going to be great as well. You know, tell us what, what is at a high level, you know, what do you, what do you think's at stake for men and for masculinity? What, what's, what's most important that you think over the next five to 10 years, um, really still need Keep to asking the question, dude. worked out and, and will be of great interest to, to men. Mm. Um, before diving into the masculinity piece, yeah. um, just generally, I'm always interested in what are the cultural pressure points on the conversation. Um, mm. And I think the gender one or the masculinity conversation is one. And I think things are already starting to shift. Um, 
I'm interested in how the conversation is shifting between the masculinity, toxic masculinity is the problem, masculinity itself is the problem, therefore we need less masculinity, versus my perspective, and which comes from lots of the personal growth stuff I've done, which is immature masculinity is a problem, and mature masculinity is a solution. Mm. In the same way that immature femininity is a problem, and mature kind of femininity is a, is a solution like yeah. what, what did you like not say um, and i think there is a what the fuck is he is talking conversation about? moving we're about four years on from me too and in the aftermath of me too there was a sense of women is it's now your time to speak and it's man men it's your time to listen which makes sense at the time there was a lot i think it was a necessary move but by I definition, think people were saying that like broadly across society. They were just like on this like, issue, just shut up a little bit. A relationship where one partner speaks and the other one shuts up is not a relationship. So it's like, what is a healthy relationship between men and women? I feel like so many of the cultural dynamics are downstream from a lot of these. Sorry, sorry. So many of the like political and societal questions are, are downstream from the the kind of that mm-hmm. fundamental kind of relating question. So that's something what? I'm really drawn to. Yeah. Um, what? I've always hosted uh, men's retreats, and oh, that must I, suck. I'm interested in that. God, like, what oh that no, the men's retreat with David Fuller and whoever else goes on the men's retreat with David Fuller's got to be just awful. Probably like 800 bucks to go to. There's a more healthy conversation, and you pay for your own stuff. Um, and also this catch 22 that so many of the guys who come to our men's retreats talk about, which is I'm being encouraged by the culture to be more vulnerable, more open, like. Uh, shed these kind of like unhealthy patterns and also told shut the fuck up um, stop mansplaining and stop taking up so much space but no those that you're, so you're being told the same thing right in those two in those two things you're actually being told the same thing that's just different versions of the same thing that the god the awful men that go to this guy's men's retreat <laughs> oh no the guys are- now i feel sorry for david fuller he has these retreats for him and people who are more obnoxious than he is, I think. The younger generation feel <laughs> really torn, like they're, they're being given contradictory messages right. by the culture. Right. And so there's something about that, like, is there a healthy, um, is there a more healthy conversation around masculinity? And I think a lot of a lot of women like Nina Power are, are kind of talking about this now. Like, I think there is a, there is a new openness. And so it's, that's something that feels quite alive. So it's something that I do yeah. want to kind of continue yeah. exploring. I, I think I buy that. I mean, I, I, I don't really make too much content in, in that, that's branded as masculinity stuff, but I am a man, obviously. And um, I guess some people follow me for some things kind of related to that in, in some way. But what could, because what I see is that the, the internet content that caters to the kind of trad manly types of guys who who feel that kind of the all the trad um instinctual masculine drives uh and and don't oh no this guy is part of the this guy is the problem being described too he's like like equating like traditional and um with like being a man and being masculine he's like like already like equating those things and that's the actual problem that's the whole problem you y'all are like Y'all are saying just a lot of words and talking around the actual problem. Know how to, you know, manifest that uh, happily and successfully in this increasingly kind of feminized society, frankly, that we, that we live in, are turning to these like supplies of internet content that are incredibly just crappy, frankly. I mean, like the bar 
is very low for being like a masculinity influencer of some. Like, really you were talking about Jordan Peterson a, a little while ago. These guys, I, I really, I really think they're quite terrible. And, and this is not even from a moral, I'm not like moral grandstanding, like uh, they should be more feminist or something like that. But just, it's like, especially when it comes to things like marriage and dating i find that some of the trad manliness advice people especially on twitter like the right-wing bodybuilder types who are like you know uh building these huge accounts giving this like really really cheap um ridiculous advice on you know how to think about women and how to talk to women i find this stuff to be incredibly uh deleterious for for men and for the culture um oh you figured out the you figured out that the pickup artists are bad good job everybody Round of applause for our uh, interview host here. Figured out the pickup artist guys are shitty. Good job. A lot of it, and it seems to grow, and people seem to love it. So it, it seems like there's a massive gap there. And and what's currently on offer is I, I find really horrible, especially when it comes to dating and, and marriage, specifically around like men are being young men. I feel like you know it's easy to critique the the kind of the the excessive feminism and and the stuff that tells men they're evil and we're past that That, that's an example of like we're past the peak of that i think a lot of most smart people and and men included have a sense that that's all crap and and unfair and and they're not gonna they're not gonna follow that stuff much longer if if at all but there's this new breed of like you know pro man almost like pro toxic masculinity where it's like let's embrace it let's you know you actually have to be somewhat toxic masculinity to to get chicks and to you know succeed and and make money in life um and i find one of the specific things that people like i feel like young men specifically are being they're being dude it's fucking what is what is is it 2016 2014 on youtube what is this this is just like the pickup artist shit this was like this is a very long time ago um to this, kind like, of overestimate the like, had on the on, on the internet as we know it today are really smart dudes who are not married yet but you know they're hoping to get married they want to build a family and they like actually genuinely take real advice from like random and on twitter like male male you know masculinity people mm. and it's like i've i've known friends who like you know they'll meet a girl and they won't and she's like I, I meet her she seems pretty pretty she seems pretty smart she seems nice and the guy will later next week i'm like oh yeah so how's that going are you still seeing that girl and and he'll be like no you know um she has some problem x and it's like some problem that he just got from the internet and it's like is that do you even really care about that is that really a real problem for you or is it because you're reading these i don't believe this story because i don't believe this guy has any who just have psyoped you into thinking that but that's the only reason i don't believe this story they've psyoped you okay we're gonna you know what we have um, we have to stop the podcast portion of this at some point seems like a massive but make no mistake we're watching the rest of this during the post game i'll probably put the post game out on saturday like i do sometimes now or a part of the post game out on saturday i'm sorry that we've subjected uh, everyone to this for the intellectual dollar tree but usually when i feel like this at the end of the show it's one of our better shows um so we're here every thursday and we're masculine <laughs> we're not your internet dad though we're not going to teach you to get chicks um join us twitch.tv slash echoplex media uh, and if you don't if you're not a twitch person or whatever you can find all of our podcasts on your favorite podcast app just by searching for Echoplex Media. I believe HK will be joining me in the post game this evening. This is Boomers by Periscope. I'm going to change the color of the lights in this place, change the content of my beverage, and uh, I don't know, we'll be back for more of this horrible piece of content.
can't get enough Echoplex and want to keep the conversation going with the hosts and community when we're not live, then join our Discord server at discord.me slash Echoplex. We have text channels, voice channels, meme repositories, and a whole section of screenshots that we don't even remember where they came from. Come join the Now Space on Discord at discord.me slash Echoplex.